make that music shorter or turn it down, I would. Richard is not with us today. He's out on a speaking gig, so we're happy for him um, that he gets to do the things he loves. It's an environmental conference. But welcome, all of you, to Sound Health Options, a show sponsored by the Institute of Bioacoustic Biology and Sound Health. We're in Ohio and we are doing projects based on sticking a microphone in front of your face and asking you to speak for 30 seconds and just seeing what comes up in your voice, what kind of architectures as we look at all the squiggles that the computer creates. And we're doing lots and lots of projects. We are happy that you guys are hanging in there. We welcome all of you that are online with us. And we try to reward you when you come on live with us. The PTSD, I believe, software that we were giving away on Tuesday went to Ian Fleming. So, Ian, please get in touch um, to see about getting your software downloaded. Um, We are also very thankful for the people listening to us after the show. We are up to over a quarter of a million listeners, and I think that is just totally incredible. We do this show because we want to make your life a little easier. We want to bring you new stuff. We want to bring you interesting people. And today we have with us Dr. John Axley. Uh, He's a multi-degreed medical researcher, I've known him, I think, for 20-some years. We'll ask him if he remembers. He's one of the very first doctors that ever uh, sent us clients. He's been uh, incredibly supportive, and he is going to be presenting bioacoustics at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine in Las Vegas, December 14th. We're a momentous historical occasion We're being presented at a medical conference. When we started out, we knew nothing. So he's going to tell us about the exciting research he's been doing. Uh, We've been doing a project on cancer and some other things. Um, Currently, we have people doing projects on weight management. We think we have cracked that case. We had to do things kind of backwards. Usually, we look for vocal anomalies in someone's chart, but... Now we're looking at a vocal, boy, I don't even know what to call it, a vocal grouping. And that we've looked at people who have been diagnosed with lipidemia, and 100% of them have this particular vocal group of anomalous frequencies. That's exciting to get to do that. Um, We're just now starting a project on the genes for immunity, and something else kind of exciting, the government uh, spokesman got in touch with me and they want to purchase all of our information about lying and how to tell who's lying, and they want to hold it exclusively for the government. I've told them no many times. They are offering a lot of money, and we are always in need of money here. Um especially during the holiday season. That reminds me, 
we do take donations. We're a 501c3. So if you need a donation for the end of the year, please get in touch with us. Um, I think that's strange in asking for money, but the way the things are set up at the end of the year, if you need a deduction, by all means get in touch with you, and it is tax deductible. Okay, end of that. Talking about that kind of thing makes me nervous. We had 37 people sign up for the two-day free class that we just did on Thursday and Friday. That's wonderful. People don't believe that we are actually giving away the two-day class, the software, so that they can set up their own bioacoustic center. That's our rose-colored wish for the world, and that's why we are struggling every day to try to bring you information that you can use to help your family, your community, to start a practice. So go to our site, soundhealthoptions.com. Go to classes. There's radio shows. There's a lot of downloads. For those of you who are on the West Coast and the Upper East Coast, and we'll ask Dr. Apsley about this, we have a radiation software that we created when Fukushima went, so that's available for you for free. And also, those of you who have been, um, I'm trying to think of the word and read something at the same time. Uh, for those of you who have been in the fires in Ventura County and Sonoma County, we have up online the Sound Health Portal Dot com and it will test your voice and you'll get a printout back. It doesn't cost anything for your breathing and coughing, for some of the toxins for the burning buildings, and for PTSD. And one of the things Richard has talked about on the show is that those people who are in these fires have had PTSD. And that's one of the aftermaths of what is going on. Um, Dr. Apsley has given us, and I don't know how to put it in the chat, um, and we don't have a chat on the other line. Just go to www.a, the capital A, the number 4, and the letter m.com, World Conference. You probably could just get it by putting in the A for M. And that's the conference that he's going to be at on the 14th. As far as I know, sign-ups are still uh, allowed, even at this late date. There are some wonderful workshops. I looked at some of the schedule online. Um, we're going to bring Dr. Apsley on, and he can tell us about the conference. But we have lots and lots of questions already pouring in from um, from our audience. So. Dr. Apsley, welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here again. Thank you for having me back. Do you remember when you first sent a uh, a client to us and what happened those many years ago? You know, it was 25 years ago. Um, her name was April, and uh, she had uh, trisomy 21 uh, Down syndrome, and um, I was actually spending a great deal of time with the family uh, doing uh, super learning techniques, 
and your speaker systems and your whole uh, bioacoustic uh, process uh, procedures were first uh, were front and central. They dove into it. The, the parents did hook, line, and sinker, and uh, I got a chance to spend a lot of time in the room that was set up with the speakers and um, be dosed myself with some of the more uh, uh, related frequencies to me. And um, the, the, uh, the, the functional and the structural changes that took place slowly with April over a couple of years were demonstrable. She was having a lot of problems with uh, mucus buildup. And for those in the audience who may not have any idea of the ramifications of Down syndrome, it's basically a, a waste storage disorder because of a missing gene or a, mis, uh, a, a non-functional gene or genes that aren't as functional as they need to be. And so there really are different degrees of Downs uh, because the, if the genes are able to be activated just a little bit, as opposed to being at completely absent, um, you can get severe ramifications because the waste builds up into the body and it causes uh, mental retardation and different facial uh, and extremity features. But if you can accelerate other genes that deal with waste removal that overlap, or if there is any functionality whatsoever of the gene that uh, is allegedly missing, then this can be reversed. And Turkle was the first to show this many, many decades prior. Uh, but here's a case that the amazing amount of uh, waste that was being trapped in her body was slowly beginning to catch up to pace. And uh, she became highly functional and uh, was well-versed in not only music, but also in different languages and mathematics, and turned out to be an extremely bright child. Um, so that was my first experience. And, and at that time, I, I had this deep gut understanding, uh, intuitive understanding about what it was that you were up to. And I had a chance to talk to the parents a great deal about their interviews with you, Sherry. And um, so that's how I started, and, and that's why I'm here today. So <laughs> it goes back that long. One of, the, one of the things I remember about April is that she couldn't jump up off the ground. And when she was able to do that, it was a thrilling moment for all of us, and she ended up in the Special Olympics. So just an incredible story of changing a child's life, and we've been doing that for years and years here. One of the things that you have done is set up an international college of regenerative medicine. And one of the things I see is that's an anti-aging thing, but it is also the other side of um, death and dying, so I just want to start at the beginning because I don't think anybody knows this answer. But where does the lack of re being able to regenerate ourselves come from? Or what are we doing to cause that? Or is that a program we're supposed to be doing? That's a great 
It's a great uh, question. So in order to answer that, I spent almost four decades looking at the long-living peoples from around the world. Uh, There's about 30 of them that I studied, and they fell into two different categories. One was the case with all of them. That is, is that their rate of chronic degenerative disease was virtually non-existent. And so those pockets around the planet where the environment was very pristine and where the traditional practices of the culture remained intact, they weren't contaminated by civilization. Um, and, and just a kind of perspective also, I think we can honestly and effectively and legitimately call civilization a disease. So when you look at the long-living cultures, you really have a blatant contrast to how and the why that they do not age like we do, they do not degenerate their bodies like we do. Uh, And then the second group are the ones who are the long-living who also suffer uh, no chronic degenerative disease or extremely small amounts of it. So as an example of the best-studied groups uh, in the Caucasus Mountains and near Georgia, Russia today, uh, there's, a, there's several different tribes or cultures there. One is the Abkhazians. There are others, but the Abkhazians are documented to have lived the longest right up until the Civil War started a never-ending series in 1980. Um, interestingly, there was the Cold War going on back then, and so when that research came out, uh, it became a propaganda effort by the United States to uh, to go after it with specious arguments. And I understand why. They, they didn't want Stalin to be able to have bragging rights that uh, members of his uh, Soviet Union lived the longest in perfect health. But in fact, they really did. And the uh, debunkers that were used to say that the Abkhazians uh, really didn't live that long were uh, were themselves blatantly using propaganda. They 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 used it quite very cleverly. Right. Uh, propaganda is the art of turning truth into untruth, and turning untruth into truth. And haven't we haven't we over the years, Sherry, run into a lot of that? <laughs> it goes on in politics and medicine. Um, Absolutely, but, the two big yeah, politics and medicine. Exactly, and it's, it's all about money at the end of the day. Um, but then you had the Hunzas. The Hunzas were extremely well studied, and there were some people, anthropologists, that were ignorant that if they arrived in the early spring to study the Hunzas, which they often did because it couldn't get there until the spring, they didn't realize that the Hunzas were completing almost a month-long fast. So they made the false assumption that they were very sickly, all the kids were starving, and they were dirty, and all these crazy things that um, were in, out of context. And fasting is, is the first pillar that I've noticed all these cultures do. They detoxify extremely well. Um, the Abkhazians and the Hunzas are extraordinarily physically fit, and that was also true through all the long-living cultures, so that was pillar two with physical fitness related to oxygenation. Um, throughout the world, even in the lower altitudes of Okinawa, um, uh, which is one of the rarest of the long-living cultures because they live at sea level, most live in the high altitudes, um, they 
all practiced eating foods that were regenerative. That, that's a very special class of foods. And they prepared them properly. And this was a trial and error that happened in the early stages of their cultural development, sometimes dating as far back as 5,000 years ago as, as the case of the Abkhazians. The Huntas came from uh, Alexander the, the Great's Greek army. They were uh, mutineers and they fled. And so uh, that was their genetic profile. But uh, in each and every case, they found land that had the ability to grow everyday foods that we might think of, such as peaches, apricots, uh, dairy, goats, that kind of thing. Um, but the soil was so fantastically rich in minerals of a high energy nature, called zeta potential, that goes right into the food, that that becomes a, 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 a group of foods that are different than the same foods that we grow in civilization. But they also focused in on raw embryonic factors, uh, such as eggs, certain uh, early milks and butters, uh, but they were basically centered around the nucleoproteins of the foods, such as from the apricot nuts and seeds. Uh, chickpeas was huge in the Hunza culture, sprouted uh, with a half-inch uh, sprout coming out, and they would make all kinds of delicious foods out of that sprout, super potent. Um, they would eat organ meats if they had access to uh, different animals. They would cook bone marrow all day long, and this was universal across all 30 different cultures. There were a few that were uh, lacto-ovo vegetarians. Uh, they made a great deal of use of fermented foods, and that brings foods back to life. The Eskimos, that we now call Inuits, um, would plant certain meats and fats into the snow, along special trails at known locations that would allow them to ferment for a year in the snow, and they became high food. So there was an example of taking some of the organ meats and some of the blubber and letting the natural enzymes in that raw uh, meat and fat to slowly basically break down that food. And the next year when they were running with 300 pounds of uh, harvest of catch in their teeth and in hands, they knew exactly where their year-long fermented food was, and they called that the high food. As soon as they ate it, they were able to keep running with dragging 300 pounds of food behind them, and that's how they existed for many years. The difference between an Eskimo, he who eats it raw, or the present-day Inuits that maintain their culture is, is that they live in such a harsh environment that they don't live as long as the Abkhazians and the Hunzas, the true Hunzas, uh, but they do live disease-free. Uh, there's a there's a couple things that they overstrain themselves with, with grinding their teeth down because of sand. Uh, a lot of their food they, contains a lot of sand in there, and that grinds their teeth when they chew it. And also their, uh, their lower spine has so much pressure on it all their lives that uh, quite often they have a, a spinal problem. But other than that, these people are extraordinarily healthy. Um, and so throughout the world, you look at these regions where they eat it raw or they eat the embryonic food factors raw or they bring the food back to life through fermentation that has high nucleoprotein content and, um, and they do the first two things, detoxification and superoxygenation. And then there's the fourth, 
which is they all have a reverence uh, for the land and for the spirit of their families and for their creator. In every single case, it doesn't matter what faith, uh, they have a, uh, a clan that has a, an amazing uh, uh, moral code of not harming themselves or each other and always helping each other to the fullest extent. They're always there for each other. Um, and that's how they survived with such great health. So we're trying to bring those practices into everyone's kitchens, and we're teaching it to physicians. And this is the way of true regenerative medicine that's sustainable because you can, in the near, very near future, if not now, you can buy a kidney that's harvested out of your own tissues that's grown in a laboratory for, I don't know, $500,000, Soon we'll have hearts and lungs and brains and every part of the body that you want to have. We now, I know we have ears and noses now, um, but how how sustainable is that? Every time you get a new body part, it's a quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars. Well, these long-living people do it inside themselves. The Abkhazians are documented not to start their aging process until they are 90 when the average American starts in their 30s. Uh, that's if they don't smoke and if they have a good diet. Those that smoke and have a bad diet start aging before that. So whatever that system is, and I think this is your, more to your question, that keeps them that way, I call that the regeneration effect within. And it's based upon these four pillars, and it relates to how cells are able to sustain three things. Number one, the minerals, the highly charged minerals that go into cells and only the good kinds of minerals. Um, a very special polypeptide that comes from mother's breast milk. All these cultures breastfeed their kids for several years. And this polypeptide is extremely negatively charged at, at both ends, so it attracts minerals in from the bloodstream. And then because of this uh, resonance where bioacoustics comes in, uh, those minerals attracting themselves to the highly negatively charged polypeptide or a splice of protein that's inside each of our cells uh, forms a resonance. And that resonance is replicated in the DNA and the nucleoproteins of inside the cells and the enzyme systems throughout in the RNA that goes into the mitochondria. There's this orb field, if you will, of suspended nutrients and hormones that relate to each other because of positive and negative charges. And they attract and they repel. They attract and they repel. And that forms a harmonic, a resonance. And you are as close as anyone, I think you're the leader in the field by far, of identifying those, those healthy harmonics and those unhealthy harmonics, the harmonics where dis-ease occurs, not a named disease, but where ease is not present. So it's dis-ease. And by putting those harmonics back into play, you can artificially get the sounds back into play. But in the case of April, after... A while, the body itself, according to its own means, will start to create those sounds 
and those frequencies and those harmonics itself because of the regeneration effect within. As long as detoxification is occurring, as long as superoxygenation is occurring like that of the healthiest people, as long as the proper diet is being taken in, and perhaps most importantly in my book, uh, the, the proper way of thinking, the positive attitudes, living a joyful life, respecting creation, uh, then these, these harmonics take place inside the cell that we know a great deal of, we have a great deal of science about. Um, and so we now have both the, the core, which is how the cells stay fully young and youthful right up until the age of 90 or beyond, and we have the daily practice on the outside, which is these four pillars. And because today in civilization, which is itself a disease, and you have to really look at that to study why that's true, you have to add in bioidentical hormone therapy. So once you do that, then even an average American who's not led a healthy lifestyle but starts to and, and starts to use um, these bioacoustic frequencies, uh, which is, I think, a, um, an accelerant to these, uh, to these medical uh, protocols that we can put together. Now we can play catch-up to that of the long living and unravel um, our aging process because we know exactly what we're unraveling. We're putting those minerals back into the cells. We're putting that polypeptide back in there. We're putting the proper resonances back in that relate between the minerals and the polypeptide, and that structures the water inside the cells of the body, and that's when dis disease disappears. That's when the proper signals, the epigenetics can occur. That's when the growth factors can trigger optimal growth. That's when that the fat that's infiltrated into the organs in an aged liver or an aged lung or an aged kidney can start to be replaced by proteinaceous uh, uh, lung tissue, proteinaceous working tissue of the liver, proteinaceous working tissue of the kidney. And that's the power of uh, bioacoustics is it allows the body time with the proper medical protocols or health-giving protocols, uh, such as the proper diet, minerals, water being ingested, that the body then takes over that and starts setting up its own resonances again in the, in, in the, in the healthy expression. So um, without that standard reference of, of the long living, um, we're not going to be able to sustain the way that uh, the anti-aging medical practices are going. Um, Bioidentical hormone therapy is essential for most people over 40, um, and it can be it can be cost effective. It can be affordable. Uh, the long living people do it by eating raw glandular meats that we can also get in capsule form, so you don't have to taste them. Um, bee pollen is another source. Algae is another source. Those are very popular foods. Those are very specific embryonic foods that are raw, and um, that's the magic of uh, what these all these diets across all 30 of the different cultures that I, that I speak of, they all had components of these embryonic foods in there that had these high energy states in there that were in harmony uh, to the point where that many, 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 many cellular activities could be almost instantaneously brought back to optimal function. 
And as soon as those three basic things, the minerals, the polypeptide that we also can get from farmer's cheese and cottage cheese and from other dairy sources today, and even from certain bone soups that are cooked properly, um, then the cells are set up to, to start harm, making their own sounds again, uh, that resonance that I speak of. And that research is, was completed by uh, Raymond Damadian, Freeman Cope, and, um, and Gilbert Ling, um, a bunch of biophysicists. They were the first to invent the MRI, although they weren't given credit for it. Uh, it was kind of stolen out from underneath them. But they came up with the first functional MRI called the Phonar. And through their phonar experiments with single-cell tissue slices from the frog's uh, sartorius muscle, they were able to see for the first time what a living cell actually does without corrupting it. Because all of the previous studies on cell physiology had to use stains and different chemicals to evoke certain things out of the cells, and that corrupts the experiment. But they saw cells that were not... Uh, contaminated with anything, and they saw the reality of how these three things really cause cellular regeneration to occur and proper signaling to occur. And unfortunately, even to this day, it's not taught in the med schools, but it, we're getting there. And that's another area that I specialize in. So we know what these long-living people did to keep that their cells healthy. <coughs> we know what they did in their daily practice. And they united in terms of the harmonics, the harmonics meaning they got plenty of sunshine, the harmonics meaning they traveled with uh, oftentimes their feet right onto the ground to do earthing. They had a positive uh, attitude. They had incredible oxygenations. Uh, they celebrated and danced and had uh, a lot of time with family when they ate, and they celebrated eating together with uh, a joy. And all of those create frequencies that relate to the heart, the actual heart. And we now know that the heart is basically the center to the mind, um, the brain as well, but the mind is what I have have uh, uh, thought of for many decades, is registered in the water of the body. And I just learned this. There is a top-rated scientist who I'm just getting the data on, who came up with this theory, uh, uh, I think a dec decade or two before I did, who said, yeah, the mind, uh, which is what we think, say, and do, uh, is recorded in the water of the cellular water of every cell of the body. So it's ubiquitous. The brain uh, is, the, is the place where uh, massive conscious movements of uh, signals take place throughout the body. But in all cases, the heart is actually a much more powerful center of the this harmonic field. So it's interesting, I think, for a, a lot of different reasons that when we uh, now monitor the heart and we use that to as biofeedback to determine the right frequencies, I think, if we're wanting to know what's the right frequencies to use in an individual, uh, we can do a pulse oximeter, we can do muscle testing, but we can also use the heart rate variability to see when there's coherence that comes back into play when the right frequency is being played. And that's what I'm playing with right now. Uh, we'll have a lot more information on that through next year. But that coherence where the heartbeat 
is in perfect rhythm and is not gyrating at all um, is uh, it's just something that uh, I think is a very, very exciting because it then will control the upper motor, uh, the brain functions. And to give you an idea about the total amount of energy that goes through the heart versus the brain, the, the heart is at least 100,000 times more powerful in its signals, in its energy bursts um, at the nerve level and transmissions through the body than the brain is. And that impacts the way the brain works in, in all aspects. So by con- learning to control the heart and getting it to be coherent, and I find that word to be used also in bioacoustics with the vocal profile, um, instantaneously then the signals of the body know how to repair itself and to keep itself from aging. And um, if you look at the bio, the, 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 the vocal profiles, where there is a severe lack of coherence, where you have extreme highs and extreme lows, and then you use the right frequencies to raise up the lows and lower down the highs to bringing back in coherence. Uh, You can see that this idea of harmonic is going to become the wave of the future by just simply doing that, by taking out the highs and taking out the lows and making them uh, more normal, and by making them coherent, where there's a flow that's not choppy, uh, these signals then can go and do their job for the body to stay in an ageless state, uh, where the enzymes are working properly for repair, where other activities that damage the body are at a low, and where people are living in harmony. So, at any rate, that's um, that's a little bit of... Uh, of uh, what what is coming up? Uh, I do want to mention this that um, the, uh, the this very powerful list of speakers that's uh, a- actually occurring, I think, for the first time ever at A4M uh, starts at 1 p.m. on the, December 14th, and it's led off by Dr. Sangeeta Patti, uh, and then it's followed at 1:45 by Roland McCready, who's a specialist in heart rate variability. And then there's my lecture at 2.20, uh, which is the medicine of energy, the compelling clinical outcomes that utilize photobiomodulation and bioacoustics. And then at after mine, at 2.55, there's Dr. Stephen Sinatra, who um, he and his family have uh, taken advantage of the bioacoustics, um, and Sherry can tell you more about that. He's giving a speak a, a presentation on grounding, a critical segue to vibrational living. That's earthing, where people would learn to live and keep their sel- themselves plugged into the earth. And then finally, the, the whole uh, session four is uh, completed by Sylvie, Sylvia Binder. She's a naturopath and a Ph.D., and her, uh, she's titled Energetics and Medicine, Growing Your Clinical Skills and Diagnostics, and treatment of chronic diseases, including advanced prostate cancer and breast cancer. So uh, we're seeing this now launch for the first time at A4M in earnest, and we believe this will be a a regular feature to A4M from now on. And certainly if it's not at A4M, it will be uh, a regular feature throughout the medical community of integrative medicine, uh, holistic medicine, regenerative medicine, 
throughout all of next year. And I think it, we're going to see a peak in interest explode, if you will, by 2019. And so what I'm trying to do is to put together a protocol and a teaching system so that newbies, new physicians that want to come and learn can pick up this te- this incredible technique very quickly and get uh, use out of it immediately as they begin to dive deeper and deeper and deeper over months into the unbelievable science that this brings forward where uh, that life is math and the relationships of all the chemical processes in the body, whether it's the healing chemical processes or the non-healing kind, um, have been actually tagged with frequencies that we can mathematically make sense out of and we can do something about. So, any rate, that's uh, that's what I wanted to uh, bring forward and, and uh, let everyone know what's what's happening here this coming December fourteenth. <clears throat> yeah, I have lots of questions here. One of the things that you have been involved in in the past is radiation. Did you see any difference in the longevity of the people in Russia after Chernobyl? Um. No, what what I but this is an interesting, <clears throat> a very very uh, powerful uh, question because <clears throat> there are regions that people, the long living people live in, that are higher in radiation than in other areas, and so there's a lot of uh, propaganda that goes on about the hormesis of radiation and that. Really, we should not fear radiation, and we should keep in mind several things, and it it has to do with where someone's healing potential is. So if you have a strong healing potential under certain very select circumstances, uh, low-dose exposure to radiation can be quite good for for someone. someone. Um, But after a certain point, it becomes quite bad. So let me me, uh, get into this. We now know that from the National Academy of Sciences um, that in their beer report, uh, number five, six, and seven, that there is no such thing as a safe level of radiation. It doesn't matter how little it is. It's harmful to the human body, but we have repair enzymes. So if we are being challenged on a regular basis with something that's insulting our tissues, like radiation is, and we are find ourselves in a very unique set of circumstances, such as the hot springs that are laced with radon in Ikra, Greece, that have been used to cure arthritis for 5,000 years, for example, and other health conditions as well, including cancer. Um, we can be exposed to certain kinds of radiation and if we are simultaneously upregulating, stimulating our own repair enzymes to stay ahead of it, then we might have a therapeutic outcome. And this has historically taken place, as I said, with the radon, heavy uh, radon springs, hot springs in Icaro, Greece. But they should never be abused. You can't go over a certain amount. Um, so if someone is exposed to those radon-laced hot springs and they have a poor diet or they're smokers, they're going to be experiencing nothing but a deleterious effect. They're going to be hurt. And so we looked at 
younger people who were um, full of different uh, stages of, of healing ability, maybe they were athletic, maybe they ate good, maybe they stayed physically active, but they weren't athletes, or maybe they ate junk diet, maybe they smoked, all of those kinds of people respond differently when they're exposed to radiation. But here's the overall truth. In the United States alone, there are at least 200,000 new cases of cancer each year that come about because of exposure to radiation, both man-made as well as from natural background radiation, which these are considered to be low levels. 200,000 cases a year. Now, if each one of those people had been eating a fantastic diet from soil that was uncontaminated and laced with proper minerals and grown without chemicals, synthetic chemicals like Roundup, things like that, um, it's quite possible that short-term exposure to radiation would not have had a deleterious effect leading into cancer. This goes back to the argument of is it the germ theory or is it the homeostasis, the resilience theory of, of Claude Bernard? Claude Bernard argued with Pasteur, who was the germ theory originator, or he was said to, he was given credit for it. He actually stole it from Antoine Beauchamp. But he, they, would, they were best friends, but they would be arguing, is it the human being and their state of health that keeps it healthy? because of resistance and resilience at the cell level, like the long living have? Or is it the germ that attacks us and destroys us? And I think Claude Bernard was correct uh, by a long shot that when our cells are resilient, like that of the long living, we can handle, because they get colds. The long living get the flu and they get colds. They just fast for a week or two on water, on the incredible water they have, or they take herbal teas and they develop their immunity to fight that, and then they develop their own kind of inoculation. They don't need vaccinations. They, they do it naturally. And they live without chronic illness until they're about 90, even 100. That's when they begin to start deteriorating, and they, because they've improved their immune system each year by practicing properly how to improve and strengthen their immune system each year. Um, some of those people live in radon-rich areas. Um, certainly, they're exposed to a lot more sunlight than we are. But they also eat pigments from plants that go to their skin that offer sun shielding. And the average American doesn't consume anywhere near the number of carotenes and other kinds of plant uh, pigments that uh, protect them in, the, in their daily diet. So that's why we have skin cancer so rampant today. Um, and we're afraid of the sun. But the sun is actually part of how we nourish ourselves. Uh, there, are, there are science to show that the harmonics of sunlight um, actually can nourish almost 75 to 80% of most of the systems in our body that require a source of energy. Um, and that'll be delivered at the A4M conference by Dr. Sangeeta Patti with the proper references. Very interesting uh, science behind that. So think of sound. Um, in the beginning, uh, there was the word, and then from there, light was given forth. And we now know that sound actually travels faster than light through the universe. So sound is a harmonic 
or a disharmonic that we need to pay uh, major attention to. If we have harsh words to say, that immediately affects the water inside our cell, our, the cells of our body, which then has to transmit signals, the epigenetic signals, the genetic signals, the, the protein signals throughout our system. If we say positive uh, words, we speak properly, we, we speak harmonically, then the water of our body allows for a proper transmission of signals for the fullest expression of health. Um, these are practices of the long-living people. Um, we know that there are certain chants that have been used throughout ages. There are certain songs. Um, but now we have the science, bioacoustics, that can tell us all about these things that we've been doing for thousands of years, but we just didn't have the understanding from a scientific point of view. And thank God for Sherry Edwards. Thank you. That is so sweet. Uh, I want to move this through to Fukushima and what people can do. What have you studied? How is that going to affect our health? Do we use the same four pillars that I know you've written about and they can get on your website? Uh, do you want them to use the Dr. Apsley website to find this material? Yes. What I uh, My book is out and it talks about regeneration as a whole at the very end and it can help with radiation poisoning. Uh, but the, the the disaster is so catastrophic for the northern P Pacific Rim and for the people of Japan uh, that I just put up the antidotes on my website. So it's free for everyone. They can go to my website and look at radiation, a tab, which is at the very top. Click on that, and then you'll see some sub-tabs on the upper left. And those give the basic, uh, the maintenance, uh, the intermediate and the advanced uh, radiation antidote protocols that everyone should take uh, advantage of because uh, there's hard science that we can protect ourselves. It's not about iodine uh, so much. We, we need, in the early stages of, uh, of a nuclear disaster or catastrophe, uh, yes, we do need uh, ex, uh, extra iodine. But there are dozens and dozens and dozens of other uh, contaminants that uh, hurt us in addition to radioactive iodine that we need to protect ourselves from. And it can be done simply. Um, as an example, there, in my book, I report about two hospitals that were exactly a half a mile from ground zero um, from one of the nuclear atomic bombs that was dropped on Japan. And one hospital did the standard medical practices and they had 100% fatality. And the hospital that used uh, a all fresh fruit food, lots of uh, seaweed, uh, some fresh fruits, uh, low meat, um, uncontaminated rice uh, diet, uh, had 100%, just about 100% survivor um, uh, outcome. And so they used the right kinds of antioxidants found particularly in the seaweed, but also in some of the pickles that they used, as well as the mushrooms, that triggered the repair enzymes to go up to full tilt, full hilt, full steam ahead repair. And it was enough to undo the radiation poisoning, and these people made, uh, well, they all survived. They had some, they obviously had some burns and some scarring. Uh, they weren't normal, normal, 
but they lived to, in, in many cases, a very full and productive life. Whereas the other hospital that w- uses the same treatments we use today for radiation exposure, they all died. So that's in my book. Uh, that's documented. The science behind it is documented. Exactly why, what they use, what kinds of foods. So it can be done inexpensively. Uh, but for those of us that have a few extra pennies in our pocket, we can use nutritional supplements to jump right in, and we should protect ourselves. So here's what happens. The Fukushima event will deliver, and if not already, uh, at least three times the lethal uh, radioactive exposure that Chernobyl did. The real count to Chernobyl disaster is no less than one million people dead. This took this has taken since you know since the beginning up to about 30 years for it to roll out this way, and it's maimed at least eight million people or more. So the, that's the real data, and that was put together by a group of MD, PhD epidemiologists that secretly went around because the Soviet government made it illegal to to collect this data, and they went from clinic to clinic, from hospital to hospital, quietly collecting the data um, not too long ago. They, they waited 25 years to do this. And that's the same thing that's happening in Japan. They have a complete blackout for anybody collecting the data. That's propaganda and totalitarianism at its, at its best. And uh, so because there's three times the amount of radiation release, and it doesn't matter how dilute that that radiation becomes in the Pacific Ocean. It does not matter. It will kill just as many people. It will injure and kill just as many animals as sea life. It just may take longer. But because of bioaccumulation and and biomagnification, and we're at the top of the food chain, all of the algae and the tiny fish and the tiny crustaceans and the bigger fish and the bigger, bigger fish, and finally the human beings sit at the top of that food chain, all of that radiation that's in particle form that can go on for thousands of years, at least uh, 300 years with cesium and with strontium, the half-life is only 30 years, but it lasts 10 times that. Uh, that's all collected in these animals, and then we sit at the top of the food chain, and then we eat an animal heavily contaminated, and no one's the wiser, no one knows. But it goes into our body, and it accelerates aging. And at, at the end of the day, we have to look at this fact, what is it that it does? It produces too much hydrogen peroxide. It produces too much radical oxygen. That's it. That's what it does. So we have to neutralize that with antioxidants, hence seaweed, from uncontaminated sources, hence algae, from uncontaminated sources, um, fermented foods, mushrooms, again, from uncontaminated areas. Nobody should be eating any of the food grown in the northern half of Japan. We should be very, very careful about any government telling us, oh, yeah, those fish were caught around the northern part of Japan and different parts of the Pacific Rim. Um, and there was a little bit of cesium and strontium and other radioactive, but that was it was lower than the allowable lim- limits. Again, I say, the National Academy of Sciences has emphatically stated there is no such thing as a safe level of radiation exposure. So we can protect ourselves 
and we must protect ourselves, and that's up on our website, there, there is a science that we can specifically enhance and stimulate our repair enzymes that deal with this. We neutralize it first. We remove the debris that may be inside us if we've gotten exposed. And we shouldn't confuse the difference between a dental x-ray, which is just radiation passing through the body, versus particles coming into the body that are radioactive. That happens all the time because of propaganda. Oh, don't worry, a little bit of food that you eat that has a little bit of that in there won't hurt you. That's BS. That's not like a dental x-ray. That's inside the body, and it's going off and it's bursting, giving out ionizing bursts that cause hydrogen peroxide to burn, to burn, to burn. And if it's at the lowest level, that's even more lethal than a 100 billion times stronger radiation burst. And the reason is, is because when there's a lot of radiation bursting in the body, the body recognizes it. It goes, wow, we better, we better mount a defense. And so it does. And if you're eating properly and taking nutritional supplements, uh, you can get out of that mess. But at the low levels, where the body itself is not turned on to repair itself, where it doesn't realize that it's, it's a little burn to this cell and then the cell next to it and then, this, and then two cells next to that, that's a stealth burning that takes place that the body has no idea is happening. And so there's no defense that's mounted. That's called the cow effect. And that is extraordinarily lethal. And that's what's happened, I think, throughout America over the past uh, 60, 70 years because of the above-ground nuclear explosions that took place. That's also talked about in my book. So uh, the point is is that bioacoustically, we can recognize these signals that are taking place in the body. It could be additional uh, free radical pathology. And we can recognize the signals that antidote it, such as vitamin C, vitamin A, uh, vitamin D, selenium, uh, the amino acid NAC, uh, certain foods like seaweed, algae, um, carrots, oranges. Uh, those are things that bioacoustics can uh, call to our attention. Um, so we need to be aware of this along the Pacific Rim now for the next 300 years. And, uh, but don't trust uh, official agencies to say anything about it. They would lose their livelihood if they came forward. I was able to talk to one of the insiders um, and he has been in government for decades. Um, and uh, he's one of the top experts in the world, especially for America, where cancer comes from. And he has published that in America, up to 90% of all cancer comes from our environment, from the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, from occupational exposures. And so it's 100%, that 90% is 100% preventable. But because of the business of America, uh, that tale cannot be told too widely nor too loudly because money will shut it down. So many of these uh, experts that do work in our federal agencies, when they retire, they write books. (laughs) And they say the same thing I just said, that, all this cancer is happening in America today can be avoided. So the last thing I want to leave your, your, your audience today about the subject of cancer, we can talk about other things, but is that Americans absolutely deserve all the cancer that we're getting. 
100%. We deserve it. We as individuals, we work so hard every day to grow our own cancer. I'm sorry to say. And then we elect officials in our government out of not knowing who espouse nuclear technology, who espouse industries that pollute the environment with toxic metals that continue to dump from our hospitals radiation into our waterways, the medicines and the feces and uh, uh, the urine of, our, of the patients that are there that aren't properly recovered. And then that human uh, manure is spread out onto grasslands and now everyone's becoming aware, this is a true uh, latest information from a PhD that's been doing this now for about 10 years. Um, now we're clamoring in our families to buy meat that's all grass-fed. Well, guess what? All that has been laced with manure that is contaminated with uh, medicines that we're taking, with uh, other things that we're exposed to, and that's just put right back into the soil. So there are rules that we must live by. And we must force ourselves to do it ourselves. If we don't do it, but we can, we can do it in our own kitchens. We can do it. We can make things so delicious tasting that even our spouses and our parents and, and our kids will love it. We, we can do it. We can do this. But we have to. Only under those situations will we know who to elect to represent us in our government. Because these people are idiots. They really are idiots. They do not know what they do except for a few that have had disasters in their family that made the recovery process or that are open-minded and are listening to people like your audience, Sherry, that they get this. What are we doing to ourselves? How are we growing our own cancer, our own body? Oh, please save me from this. This is what doesn't make any sense. And Sherry, you know, you, you, you've spoken about this before. Everyone knows that toxic chemicals and radiation causes cancer. Everybody knows that. And yet, what do we use to treat cancer? We use toxic chemicals and radiation to treat cancer. And so it becomes a highly embarrassing fact that when hard science comes up at a University of Washington and other places and says, oh, by the way, our conventional treatments of chemotherapy and our conventional treatments with radiation therapy upregulate turn on 30-fold cancer stem cells once they're used. So you get to melt the big tumors, but at the same time, you're activating the single-cell cancer stem cells that take two to three years to grow out. So that as your cancer goes away with these toxic therapies, you're virtually guaranteed for the cancer to come back all over the body because you've activated cancer stem cells. Since 1950, because of radiation in the environment, because of all the uh, improper uh, pesticides we use, not fertilizing the soil properly, drinking tainted water with fluoride, all of these reasons, I add up. And remember, 90% of all cancers are avoidable by the same examples that I'm giving now. They're all avoidable, but we don't. So by the end of, uh, since 1950 up until the year 2006, where I can state for a fact, there was zero improvement in, uh, in, in cancer treatment for outcome. Zero. Of the 28 most common kinds of cancer, of the 28 most common, there was 0% improvement in outcome 
with conventional care. Now, since then, since 2006, no one has braved uh, the SEER data from the Centers for Disease Control uh, to publish on what it is since 2006. But if they use the same old, same old, then I think that, you know, Einstein said it right. How can we, it's insanity to expect that we'd get a different outcome. Keep doing the same thing over and over again. We're using chemicals and radiation that cause cancer to treat cancer. That's what we're we're stuck with, except there is this emergence of immunotherapy. And I'm very, very excited about this. Um, Sherry and I have been working at looking at different biomarkers in the vocal profile that relate to the function of the immune system. Now, I believe that all disease can be cured by the human immune system at least once, if not twice. And if we can do it once or twice, we should be able to do it a lot, even for things like MS, even for things like Parkinson's, even for things like uh, stroke. That if the body knows how to repair itself and we tweak that up to highest level, what is it that we can't take on? To me, that's regenerative medicine. And we found ways to accelerate it. And Sherry Edwards, her case files show just case after case after case of these true regenerative healing events. Now, what does regeneration mean? It means unscheduled healing, healing that could otherwise not take place. And yet, with the proper frequencies and the proper diet and breathing properly and exercising properly, she has photo documentation of amazing recoveries that the body itself healed, not through her biofeedback system, but the body healed itself that are just uh, growing in numbers uh, decade after decade after decade, starting back with this genetic anomaly with April. Now, that's where we sit. I would like to invite everyone who's a practitioner or everyone who's thinking about becoming a practitioner of this science to join. I'm going to be exposing this to a group of physicians, and I'm going to be inviting them to attend the next professional, practitioner-level seminar at the basic level so that we can get in, we can learn, we can know what to do to bring the high frequencies down, to bring the low frequencies up, and just do that. And then to record accurately case histories and to have a central location to be able to mail these results to and to do it properly, do it with photographic records, do it with lab records, do it in such a way that as the numbers grow of pre and post outcomes of diabetics, of stroke, of MS, of heart disease, of other kinds of immune deficiency disorders, any of those, that we will have beautiful examples of persons, people, people after, after persons, of individuals that have learned how to stop growing their disease so that they can teach others just like the long-living people do. That's what the long-living people do. The 90-year-olds sit and they talk to the 2-year-olds and the 3-year-olds and the 4-year-olds. They say, hey, look, treat the soil right. Use the proper way to break down your compost 
So it's bacterially merged in with high minerals and then the proper fermentation bacteria in the soil. And then add that in as hummus with all 80 different trace minerals in there and high zeta potential with that water that comes down from the spring melt each year from the glaciers and grow food that doesn't need pesticides. And then when you get sick, just drink water and herbal tea and allow your immune system to get strong. And you'll live a long, happy life, and you'll have 110 grandkids. That's what they do. And they dance, and they love, and they're happy, and they're joyful, and they walk in the grass with bare feet. That's what these people do. Yeah. That's wonderful. 25 years ago, you sent somebody to us from Faith. Now, this summer, you took our courses. Have you moved from Faith to reality to science? How do you see this progressing into mainstream medicine? I, I, we are at the historic moment of the door having opened itself wide. Um, we now have enough information, we now have enough access, such as with um, Audacity, um, with the proper microphones, with the proper speakers, with the proper headset. We now have simplification of, of the software to where anybody that just wants to start using it for clinical application to collect pre and post data um, it will be able to do so in a much easier, user-friendly way. That's something that you and I worked on this past year. So my vision for next year, for 2018, is that we're collecting thousands and thousands of case histories of people with chronic fatigue, of people with uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, of people with depression, of people with um, physical inflammation and physical pain, um, rapidly clearing uh, almost overnight. That's my vision. That's what I see. I know we're we're able to do that now. Um, and where we have uh, particularly ingrained conditions, um, we will have the resources of the, the medical skills that uh, are out there that will be joining us to sort through the layers that we have to remove and have to be corrected with the proper harmonics. Um, I'll give you an example. So right now in Hong Kong, there are uh, radio waves and different kinds of signals that are being used that unfortunately we can't avail ourselves to here in the United States. Um, there are frequencies that have long been known since way back to the 1930s to uh, both enable the body's immune system to kick into full gear as well as to uh, help address the loads of infections that many people harbor once they reach a certain age. Um, and these diseases are expressing themselves as diabetics uh, that need amputation. They're expressing themselves as uh, people with MS, people with stroke, uh, people with MS, people with um, cancer, so on and so forth. And they're just finding that after two months of the proper frequency treatment and proper diet and proper oxygenation and detoxification by drinking lots of good water, um, that these diseases are rapidly clearing up. And so we see that happening here and have seen it happen with with uh, people uh, 
availing themselves to bioacoustics. So I'll be presenting both of these sets of photos, these case histories, at A4M. And this is just the beginning. I see this, um, this set of slides being the first of what will amount to be dozens of slide decks in specific disease categories that will have been arrested and reversed um, over a very short time period, two months, for example, so that if we look at this realistically, I think that by this time next year, uh, we're going to have uh, uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of case histories of before and after photos and laboratory work workups that will show uh, that when the frequencies were normalized, when the high extremes and the low extremes were brought into the normal range, that after two months, at the most four months, there was a complete restoration of function and structure, um, especially with people 40 and under. So remember, everyone needs to remember, it only takes 120 days, that's four months, for the body to basically turn over itself, except for bone and except for nerve. So for everything else, the body gets to renew itself 100% every 120 days. So if we have a program of bioacoustics that takes place for four months, that's updated regularly, that has the correct uh, detoxification procedures, which is drinking lots of good, healthy water, of breathing and loss of oxygen, which is done with very smart ways of physical fitness, of eating the right kinds of diet with regenerative nourishment in there, and thinking properly that we can monitor with heart rate variability, and that same instrument can tell us when the right frequencies for, for the bioacoustics have, have hit the bullseye. Um, I think we're going to be um, wit, uh, at the, at the uh, forefront of a tsunami of a new science that will just rush itself throughout the entire integrative uh, medical um, uh, community. What a wonderful closing thought. I love it. Um, thank you for being here. You always have a lot of information. This is something you're going to want to listen to again and again. You can find this at um, Blog Talk Radio and also on our site under radio where you can listen to this over and over. Thank you, Dr. Ashley. Please spread all of this to your friends um, so they can know that this is possible, too. We're going to sure end the episode. But uh, I was talking to everybody. I, I know that sounded kind of awkward. Um, we're going to end with knowing that we're going to have Dr. Apsley back. Thank all of you for being here. And I think one of the softwares we're going to give away today to our listeners is the one called uh, Radical Factors that will tell you if you have a lot of this radiation in your system and what you can do about it. So till next time, till next Tuesday, later. <laughs>